I mean, other ideas are like, could we train a model to be the ultimate um, Bitcoin Twitter account uh, and have it like produce content, you know, that is, you know, really interesting, really engaging, build up a following mm -hmm. and then use that to uh, funnel customers back to a particular business, you know. Or, you know, could we like, so so could we build that for a business or could we build that for ourselves, for example, when we become the ultimate affiliate, right? And, you know, our yeah. model is then the the trusted expert that sends people to the right kind of products based on the stage where they're at, et cetera. So, yeah, there's like, there's ideas that are emerging. I think we just need to find out what the right one is. The, the, like, I also have some ideas about, you know, what we could do outside of Bitcoin with this, but. Welcome to the Bitcoin Talent Co. podcast, where we interview entry-level to C-level executives about working in the Bitcoin industry, learn about their interview process, what they do day-to-day -day at their Bitcoin job, and advice for current job seekers looking to work full-time in Bitcoin. Hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Talent Co. podcast. I'm your host, Eric Podwashki, and today I'm joined by my friend, Alex Savetsky, who is the founder of Spirit of Satoshi and Amber. Thanks for joining me, Alex. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. Yeah, sure thing. Um, so I think you're building something really cool here with this AI-based model. I use ChatGPT sometimes, and it has no idea exactly what the difference between Bitcoin and crypto. Um, so it'll be interesting to hear exactly how you're tackling this problem and creating an AI-centric model for Bitcoin. But before we get there, I'm curious, before you got into Bitcoin overall, what were you doing professionally? Uh, well, directly before Bitcoin, I was, uh, I was building a recruitment automation app, uh, believe it or not. Um, a lot of people don't know this story, but, um, I mean, some, some actually do because I, I did that silly shark tank appearance that, uh, you know, people like to make fun of. Um, but basically <laughs> we were, we were building a, we're trying to build an app that took, um, kind of like a. Think of it like for Tinder for jobs, right? But instead of just mm -hmm. matching people based on skills and experience, we we built like a five layer personality profiling tool. So we looked at uh, big five, uh, human needs, um, Myers Briggs, uh, and and two other ones. I can't remember now. It's been so many years since we were doing this. And you know, basically, people would go in as a candidate, and you would define who you are, not just what you can do. Um, and employers would separately define basically their ideal candidate who they're looking for you know the personality type and what they can do and then our app would match them right now mm -hmm. you know i was young like 26 27 when we started this had no idea you know really about raising capital and all that sort of stuff and it was a two-sided marketplace that we we're trying to build essentially and mm -hmm. in australia it's, it's a very unique market there is um there is one job board seek.com and it has like 90 something percent market share and it just it's crap, it's old, but just all the traffic is there. All the employers post and all the candidates, you know, apply there. And it's like, it's just, they have like practically a monopoly on it. And, you know, we, we tried hard to build this, um, you know, obviously it went on Shark Tank, tried to raise some money. Um, and yeah, we, we ended up failing. Uh, the business didn't work because, you know, really for a two-sided marketplace, you, you, you need to, you need to stimulate both sides. You need to give candidates a reason to get on there. You need to give employers a reason to get on there and to get them both on these yep. millions in marketing. Um, but yeah, that's what I was doing right beforehand. And prior to that, I built a payroll automation app um, and that I, I sold to a, to a cup, to an accounting company. 
Uh, prior to that, I was in the hospitality industry. Uh, prior to that, I owned gyms. Like hospitality was a very, very high turnover business. Like that, that was actually part of what inspired me to build the recruitment app because, mm. man, I was like across five shops that, that I was personally managing. I mean, man, I was, I was hiring every single week. It was insane. Um, and, and prior to that, like in, in my, my, some of my earlier businesses, I was running sales companies and that is like the highest turnover of all, particularly like commission only businesses. Like you, you're, mm -hmm. your part sales company, part recruitment agency, like, because that's all you're doing. You're just recruiting, recruiting, yeah. recruiting, recruiting. So yeah, man, I had a, you know, quite a varied, uh, entrepreneurial sort of journey before that I've, I've owned gyms, uh, renewable energy businesses, you know, uh, construction things like I've, I've had all sorts of things like I'd say my hit rate is about 50 50 like half the things I've done you know I blew up half the things like did well so you That's know pretty good area. entrepreneurial the entrepreneurial journey man yeah I guess that makes a lot more sense now why you have two different startups in the uh, Bitcoin ecosystem here uh going back to the um the app we were building or the, the software um how much does personality test matter when hiring someone out of all the Bitcoin companies we're working with, I think we've only had one company so far that uses some kind of personality test to vet candidates. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm curious from your end. Yeah, personality profiling is tricky, man. Um, you know, I I think personally it's it's underutilized. Um, I don't think people know how to use it um, or how to make it work. Um, you know, we you know recruiting is very skills focused, and you know there has been you know, what I find is that the personality profiling stuff usually comes in later when people sort of find the right person, they they sort of instinctually feel it, like, particularly good hiring right. managers, good recruiters kind of get a sense for someone, yeah. you know, if they've got the right energy and the right fit. And then, you know, they, they generally optimize for skills. And then they, um, they might during like, onboarding or team initiation or whatever, maybe bring someone in to run a workshop on like team building and stuff like that and most of the team building workshops are generally revolve around some sort of personality profiling um mm -hmm. we we never got enough traction to basically get any hard data on whether uh pre-screening uh v with personality uh would help with fit mm -hmm. uh, my intuition is that it should because i, I do think i mean it, it's probably not for every role but some personalities are predisposed to some kind of roles um, more than others, right? Like, you know, sometimes you want yeah. someone who is, you know, more introverted, more analytical, etc. Sometimes you want, you know, like, for example, salespeople, you, you generally want them to be more gregarious, extroverted, etc. Like fucking gun ho right. vision oriented, etc. So my, my intuition is that it should matter. I just don't think anyone's cracked the code on how to uh, integrate it into a hiring process. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk some more offline about this because I have some ideas, but uh, mm -hmm. keep going here. So your entrepreneur journey, and then when does Bitcoin come into your life? What is your Bitcoin story? Bitcoin sort of came in towards the end of that business. So, you know, I, I got a, you know, th this is the funny thing about uh, the world is like, I got a bunch of backlash on the, on the Shark Tank thing. People are like, oh yeah, you know, fucking uh, raising money at a really high valuation and stuff like who the fuck do you think you are? And I was like, well, that was the money we had already raised. Sorry, we had already raised like six or $700,000 at that valuation. So I was just extending it. And it sounded mm -hmm. like a lot. 
because we only need a little bit more to top up. So we were selling uh, 2% of the company for 200K or something like that. So on Shark Tank, that sounded crazy. Um, and, you know, I got a shitload of backlash, even from the board. They're like, oh, you know, you made a fool of yourself, etc." And I was like, man, I was in the fucking studio for an hour and a half and they only showed 12 minutes of my time in the studio. So obviously, like media, they make it sort of, they make you look as bad as possible to increase the drama. So if you ever like, yeah. if you go and watch the thing, you know, I look like a fucking clown. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about. And just like have this half-baked idea with this like massive valuation, which was not the case. We had a 15-person team, you know, eight developers, two designers. Like we, we had an outfit. We had raised money. Mm. Uh, like we had someone, one of the early members of salesforce.com on our fucking board. Like we weren't like, you know, pulling numbers out of our ass. So like we, we had something there. You know, but unfortunately, like we we didn't get to product market fit in time, which is, you know, the case with most startups. So around the time all of that was happening, um, I, man, I like, it was a mixture of things that sort of pushed me down the rabbit hole. I think I was already primed because prior to uh, the recruitment app, prior to hospitality, I had gotten into gold and silver and I made quite a bit of money out of gold and silver in 2010, 2011. And I'd heard about Bitcoin in passing during that period. I used to watch people like Max Kaiser, Doug Casey, Mike Maloney, and all these sort of gold and silver bugs. And somewhere along the line, I heard someone say Bitcoin. I totally ignored it. I was like, yeah, whatever. You know, I've got my hard money here with my gold and silver. And yeah, sort of 2015, this this uh, friend of my brother's who was kind of like junkie guy, and he was like, bro, have you heard about this Bitcoin thing? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know what and it's like man my cousin made like fucking millions of dollars out of it you know blah blah and i was like mm -hmm. you know is that thing still around like you know and then i asked him like ah, how much is it it's like 600 bucks i was like what the fuck like the last i'd heard it was like five bucks six dollars mm -hmm. like something, something like i was like this can't be right so i looked at it and i you know looked at the chart history and everything and you know i'd previously also done you know quite a bit of trading and i was just like look at this parabolic move i was like god damn it like what have i what have i missed here and, you know, that started me down the rabbit hole, started digging. And, you know, a lot of us, we sort of come initially for making money really quickly. You know, that was sort of <laughs> what I saw in Bitcoin. Uh, but as I kept digging, I found something more profound, something more deep. And, you know, quickly, quickly became, I guess, a Bitcoin maximalist. I, you know, call it climbing Mount Stupid. You know, you kind of realize that all the shit coins, all the narratives, all the dumbness is like really just people don't get why Bitcoin exists in the first place. So then they stay up in Mount Stupid for a while. I climbed yep. back down pretty quickly, found Bitcoin Twitter and, you know, the rest is history. I started writing stuff and, you know, here I am. Nice. So one, okay, so you first had a touch point way back in the early, like 2010s, and then you got started taking it more seriously mid 2015 or so when it comes to prices around $600. Did you think it was yeah. expensive at that time? Did you think you missed the boat? Yeah. I mean, I would say I didn't even take to start, like I started dabbling around and looking, uh, you know, mm. again, my, my friend, I think told me around 2015, I started looking in 2016, still didn't take it too seriously. I don't think I even, maybe I bought some, I think I did buy some. And I remember back then it was like really hard to find exchanges and that, that didn't even occur to me. So the way I bought some was off some dude on um, local Bitcoins, like for a fucking brown paper bag full of cash at a cafe. I thought I was going to get stabbed. I was like looking around waiting for someone to fucking shank me. And, um, and I, I'd say I, I started taking it more seriously early 2017. Like, so, okay. you know, and, and that's when I started like 
you know, watching Andreas Antonopoulos, et cetera, et cetera, and, you know, going down the rabbit hole and understanding what the hell this thing is. Um, right. But oh, what, what was your question again? Oh, did, did I think it was expensive? Yeah, I did. Um, yeah. But then, it, you know, the, the classic thing, it, it got very expensive very quickly in the first quarter of 2017. I, I, still, I still remember, like, watching it go from 600 to 1,000. 1500 two grand and that's when i started uh selling out i was like man this thing's just fucking doubled in price in no time you know i started selling mm -hmm. bitcoin and then it went to like two and a half grand to three grand i was like fuck you know i fucked up you know it's going to 10 so i bought more at three then it dropped back to two i was like shit you know so i sold some and you know, then it jumped back up again it was like you know that meme of like you know bogdan where he's like pump it dump it you know and the guy's going crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, you know yeah. that was basically me and you know it kind of like Man, I, I lost Bitcoin fucking around in trading. Um, and yeah, it, it took me a while to like get through my skull the idea of, you know, this is not something you trade. This is something you accumulate. And that that didn't exist at the time. Like, I don't think, you know, Bitcoin is a store of value or as a, you know, as a savings instrument and stuff like that. We see that so evidently today. Nobody was talking about that back then. The Bitcoin standard didn't get published no in 2018. Exactly. There was none of that. Mm -hmm. So the people who kind of pioneered that thought, like, you know, the guys are shitcoiner now, Murad Mahmudov, but he and I like wrote mm -hmm. one of the earliest articles together. You know, that graph that sort of showed Bitcoin's uh, growth from collectible to store of value to everything yeah, like that. Or, yeah, he and I, that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He and I built that together. Like, so like that kind of shit wasn't even around back then. So, you know, there was a lot of work, I think 2017 and 2018 yeah. that sort of brought into the Bitcoin consciousness the idea of Bitcoin as a savings instrument. And, you know, that sort of, I guess, can bring us to why I founded Amber was that was the idea. That was the thing yeah. that I saw missing, you know, particularly in Australia at the time, the successful exchanges. Oh, sorry, what year was that? This is 2017, 2018, right? So, okay. um, 2017, the exchange that took off the most in Australia was a company called Coinspot. They absolutely mm. fucking killed it because all they did was they plugged into Bittrex they slapped a bigger spread on it. Most technical people, sorry, most non-technical people didn't know how to use Bittrex, but CoinSpot was just like super easy. One button for buy, one button for sell, no fucking market depth, none of that sort of stuff. They slapped a massive spread on the buy and sell side. Like I'm talking 5, 10, 15, 20, 30% spreads on the shit coins. And they just like slapped a bunch of shit coins there. And literally, that's what all the Aussies did. You know, like Australia is one of the highest per capita gambling countries on the planet. Like people don't know that. So they're just sitting there just fucking pumping and dumping shit coins. And, um, and yeah, I, I saw a gap. I started like saying, look, we need to build a product that is that allows people to save in Bitcoin, that treats Bitcoin as a savings instrument. And the, the initial incarnation of our product actually was a like, kind of, I think it's called acorns in the U S so you can kind of like round up your spare change. Every time you do a transaction, oh, your spare yeah. change goes into some sort mm -hmm. of an ETF. Yeah. We wanted to do that for Bitcoin. It was a bit too technically difficult because, um, the minimum, uh, threshold for like a roundup in a transaction, uh, considering like the banking rails and the payment rails and everything like that was about $5 to make it make sense because you'd have to pay 30 cents plus 2%. 
for a transaction. So like if you rounded up every transaction, you know, 30 cents, you'd pay 30 cents to the payment processor. So you're not actually rounding up anything. Right. So we had to like figure out, engineer all this sort of stuff. And that's when the idea hit us. We're like, well, why don't we just forget about the roundups and just help people set up a DCA five bucks a day, five bucks a week, you know, 20 bucks a month, whatever. And yeah, we, we built the first, the first DCA app. And, um, and I remember talking to Corey about it when, you know, he was still running give Bitcoin and I was like, man, DCA is the fucking way I'm telling you. And, um, yeah. and today we have Swan really, we have everyone like it literally, you know, it, it planted the seed. I, I think it was going to, it was obviously going to come, but like it was, uh, you know, I think it was an important moment for Bitcoin. Yeah, it's funny to talk through, I guess, Bitcoin's evolution in terms of like education back in the day. It took people a while to understand Bitcoin was different than crypto. Nowadays, mm. I feel like people that have gotten this last cycle are just like they, they skipped the whole like altcoin phase. And now they're just like, yeah, Bitcoin gung ho. Um, same thing with buying Bitcoin, too. It's so much easier to buy it. Like you said, instead of taking a brown paper bag to someone on the street and trading it for Bitcoin, now you can just go to an exchange that is Bitcoin only and you can DCA. It's just mm -hmm. like so mm -hmm. easy now. Mm -hmm. Hey guys, real quick, as a Bitcoin focused recruiting firm, our goal at Bitcoin Talent Co. is to bring as many professionals into the Bitcoin industry as possible. Since we don't run ads, our one ask is to rate, review, and share this podcast with friends and family so more people can find this show. Thanks, and now back to the interview. So going back to Amber, how how um, how many people did you build it up to while you were still there? Do you mean uh, users or stuff? Uh, like employees, like people working on your team. I think while I was still there, we got to about 10 or 12 people. We were, we were always a pretty lean team, pretty small, pretty lean. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what was that like building a startup in the Bitcoin ecosystem for the first time? Like building I mean, a team? Yeah, like we we were never much of a Bitcoiner team. And I think okay. that, was, that was partly because of... Um, you know, Bitcoin technical talent was impossible to find in Australia yeah. at the time. Like, I mean, Australia has been, you know, one of the 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 more shitcoin countries uh, and less Bitcoin countries. There, there is like, there's a couple names, you know, like Stefan Levera, Haas McCook, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, what's his name? I'm in the Parman, you know, myself, etc. There is a, yeah. you know, a couple of Aussies out there, but th there's actually not a lot. Like, um, people in Australia don't see the need for something like Bitcoin because they don't have us like inflation. Um, you know, there's mm -hmm. like, there, there isn't a history of like gold confiscation or, you know, not trusting the government and all that sort of stuff. Like Australia gave up its guns without a peep, like, you know, that there's that like complacency. So, you know, the, like uh, America's far more primed for something like a Bitcoin only product. Um, Australia mm -hmm. is just not, they, they just don't care. Like, like you really, I mean, there's only probably two or three Bitcoin only apps in Australia and, and they're all, we're all the smallest exchanges. Like the big exchanges are all like as many coins as possible um, or as mm -hmm. you know, trading oriented as possible. Mm -hmm. So uh, finding talent that can actually build software and design uh, that were already Bitcoiners is basically nobody, like zero people. Yeah. So the talent that we hired, we hired primarily for, um, for skill. And, you know, we, we had mm -hmm. quite talented front-end developer, back-end developer, talented designer, et cetera, and um, operations, uh, customer support and everything. And I had to basically train them into becoming Bitcoiners, you know, and they were, they were never as radical as me. I was obviously the, um, the primary Bitcoiner, um, yeah. but, you know, 
later on when we expanded the talent pool ex, you know outside of Australia when we became a bit more of a distributed team post lockdowns uh we we were able to tap into a little bit more bitcoin talent and lo and behold where do they come from the US <laughs> so um you know it was when we yeah. spread out a little bit that that happened would you say now the majority of the bitcoin talent is located in the US for sure man oh, yeah. and i think that would be by a large yeah. margin as well mhm mm and all right, so you had a team that wasn't exactly Bitcoiners. What were you giving them to help them, to help educate them on Bitcoin, help them become, I guess, Bitcoiners at the time? I mean, we, we produced a lot of uh, internal content. Um, you know, I was mm -hmm. always writing. Like, that was one thing where, I guess, you know, from my early days in Bitcoin to now, like, I continue writing about Bitcoin, exploring the ideas, thinking about it, etc. So, you know, mm -hmm. when you know, when we produce content, like, you know, the team would sometimes read it. I mean, I, I, I was also very careful not to try and just like ram Bitcoin down their throats. Like, hey, you have to learn this shit. Like, right. I was more interested in them as product and engineers, um, product people and engineers as opposed mm -hmm. to Bitcoiners. So that like mattered to me more uh, than the alternative. But um, yeah, like w when there was something, you know, useful, we used it. I mean, it's funny, like, I, f I find that people who are more like, engineering oriented are less likely to you know like bitcoin i think um which is which is interesting because they're always like you know bitcoin's like over engineered for like one specific thing you know and you know software hmm. engineers generally look at it they're like fuck would you do all of that for like money like look look at solana it's so much easier like it's simpler mm -hmm. i can build an app really quickly like you know it does payments but they don't understand why all the over-engineering exists. They don't understand why like yeah. proof of work is important, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, for them, it's a, the engineering problem to solve is to make Bitcoin less energy intensive, you know, it, to make it more simple, like to make payments more streamlined, you know, like, so, so, you know, I, I, I chose, you know, I made a conscious decision not to try and like change that too much because yeah, like I said, I, I wanted good product people and, you know, the, 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 what I ended up, where I ended up having Bitcoiners more than anything else was in customer facing or marketing like that so that we could talk right. to the thing. But, you know, the engineering team, who cares? doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, I think time goes on. It uh, Bitcoin companies now with all this education out there, it's, it's easier and easier for them to onboard new employees, especially outside the industry, because our thesis here at Bitcoin Talent Co is all the talent still lies, not all, but most lies outside the industry, people mm -hmm. working at big tech companies right now, oh, that's yeah. tons of talented people. How do you bring them into the industry um, on board in a way we're not forcing it down their throats, but still getting them up to speed in a way. Um, I think that's still a challenge that we're trying to crack here. But I think, yeah, as more and more resources come out, it's getting easier. So just give it some time. Um, I want to talk about the transition now between Amber and uh, founding Spirit Satoshi. What was the background that led up to you founding it? Yeah, man. So like I decided to step down from Amber. I decided I'm not going to go back to Australia for a while and mm -hmm. you know, try to run a team in Australia remotely being on, you know, the worst possible time zone, you know, is, is tough. Um, and then, you know, there was also some, you know, legal factors where, you know, being a non-resident of Australia made it, you know, far more difficult to be a, a officer of, you know, what's essentially a financial services company. Um, mm -hmm. so you know, I decided Eh, time to step down, do my own thing. 
got married, took some time off. Uh, obviously, Mark Moss and I wrote the Uncommunist Manifesto and I kind of told myself, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to be a content creator. I'll just write about Bitcoin. I enjoy it, this and that. You know, I, I did that for a while. I started my second book, Bushido of Bitcoin, you know, which should be coming out next year, etc. And um, And I don't know, it's just, I felt like something was missing. Now, I've been building businesses all my life. Like, Jesus, I had 15 companies. Like, um, and, you know, something, like I said, it's an itch. Some, something was itching and I needed to scratch it. And I just didn't know what. And I, I kind of told myself, I don't want to do another business that is going to get wrapped up in uh, regulatory red tape. You know, I said, fuck, mm -hmm. I'm not doing another exchange or another financial services company. I ain't like sitting there begging the regulators for, oh, please give me permission to run my business. That That is a fucking no. I'm, I'm never doing that again. Uh, but mm -hmm. if there's a business that I can do that doesn't require that sort of stuff, you know, I'm interested. And when language models sort of popped up, particularly with obviously the launch of ChatGPT and everything that happened there, that sort of caught my attention along with everybody else in the world. And, you know, what I first started doing was I just started going down the rabbit hole. I was like, fuck this interesting tool. What is it? You know, like, it, uh, is the world going to be overtaken by AI? Like, you know, what's real here? What's fake? You know, what's interesting? What's bullshit? And I started like a little uh, blog called Authentic Intelligence, where I started like asking the deep questions about what is consciousness? What is intelligence? You know, is AGI going to kill us all, etc. And, mm. you know, I what I found was that most of the uh, discussion or discourse around AI was hyperbole. It was more like uh, what you'd find in crypto, just like people freaking out, you know, nerds thinking that, you know, the end of the world is going to come in six weeks because like, it almost reminded me of COVID, you know, it was like the same exponentials talk. It's like, you know, it's growing so fast. Like within six months, we're going to have AGI and the world's going to be fucking over. And like, we must fucking regulate now. We have to stop. And like, everyone's losing their minds, bro. It's October. Nothing happened. Relax. You know what I mean? Like people are yeah. like, people project these things uh, in such an eschatological way. It's, it's, it's hilarious. So, Anyway, I started going down that rabbit hole and um, and what I, I kind of thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could have a avatar of like Jordan Peterson in my pocket, you know, and hmm. could we use like a, a foundation model to um, like tune a foundation model or do something to a foundation model to represent that? And, you know, we spent, me and uh, two guys, like basically one uh, sort of, traditional software engineer and one uh, data scientist, we tried to make a Jordan Peterson avatar uh, using ChatGPT oh, cool. as the base. And ah. honestly, we we failed. Um, you know, all of the talk about like, oh, yeah, you can talk to your PDFs or talk to a book and all that sort of stuff. It's true to a degree. Like you can take a corpus of content. You can break it up into mm -hmm. paragraphs, chunk it up. You can vectorize it, which just means you turn it into numbers that, um, that a language model can read or can assign meaning to, you know, you can do all that sort of stuff, but that's not training a model number one. And number two, um, as soon as a question comes in that your chunked up data doesn't reference, you know, the, the model just defaults to what it knows. Um, which is not Jordan Peterson. Um, you know, you can try and prompt it and ask it to like, you know, act and talk like Jordan Peterson. But now, you know, that's very difficult because of all the, um, you know, the safety mechanisms that have been placed into these models. So you right. end up 
soon as you ask it about transgenderism or about masculinity, femininity or anything like that, all of a sudden the fucking alarm bells go off. Oh, sorry, I can't tell you this yeah. or that, right? So we were like, okay, this sucks. Um, and, you know, furthermore, we sort of realized like, hey, you know, what is really the utility of having Jordan Peterson in your pocket that's an AI? Like it's fake anyway. People know it doesn't really emulate him, you know, particularly if it's low fidelity. Like if it was really, 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 really tuned and it like spoke and thought and, you know, done stuff like that about, you know, that Jordan Peterson does, sure, maybe. But that that's mm. an entirely different project. That's like a multi-million dollar like train a model from scratch project, not a you know, tweak with a vector database, right? So anyway, while we we're doing that, we thought, okay, you know, what, what's a real problem? And a real problem genuinely is uh, people having 10 million and one questions about what the hell Bitcoin is uh, when they discover it. And that sort of was the seeds for building Spirit Satoshi as a model was like, okay, could we do something at scale, like create some sort of, you know, maybe orange pilling tool or orange pilling utility um, or Bitcoin assistant uh, that could be mm -hmm. used at scale that is, you know, actually trained, not not just referencing that data with ChatGPT, but training a, a, a model from the ground up to represent a Bitcoin model of the world. And yeah, we set out to do that. It's been almost six months now. We've, you know, raised a bit of money, made a little progress and, um, and here I am building another goddamn company. Got nothing better to do. <laughs> yeah. I, I just feel like that's your personality. That's uh, what you'd like to do here. Um, going back to the, I guess the, the model itself, what applications beyond just education do you see it serving? I mean, this is obviously when we connected uh, on a call mm -hmm. with what we're trying to discover. And um, yeah, and I don't know, man, there's, there's many ideas. There's things like, oh, we we're just having a chat with Guy Swan and asking him about, hey, like, what are what are some of the, um, you know, the the challenges you're facing around what you're doing? And, you know, he, he mentioned a couple of things like, man, when I do a guy's take, it takes me like two or three days to read back through all of the articles that I've previously read and then try mm. and like synthesize that into like something coherent. He's like, you know, I can't get ChatGPT to do that because when it synthesizes the information, it just gives me shit, like things I'm not going to say and like the wrong insights. Um, he was apparently trying to do it recently with like some energy article and, you know, everything that was coming up from ChatGPT was, you know, like, uh, you know, the energy crisis, we're ending the world. Green like, but that, yeah, it's not what I want. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't want ESG. Uh, I want something yeah. else. So like maybe, uh, you know, it could be used as a, a product, uh, sorry, a, a content curation assistant, uh, that kind of, at least I don't want to use the word understands because AI doesn't understand anything, but like, let's use the word understand here, just knowing that it's not the right one, but that understands the Bitcoin model of the world, or it reflects the Bitcoin model of the world. So that when it does give you summaries or something like that, it's at least more in line with our language. So that's one yep. idea. And, you know, another idea we were sort of talking about with you guys was, you know, maybe sifting through resumes and finding patterns in, you know, people's background, et cetera, to maybe work out whether they are predisposed to being a Bitcoiner, you know, maybe they're the wrong cultural fit, et cetera. You know, maybe there's something there right. uh, that a, um, that a language model could do. Um, I mean, other ideas are like, could we 
trainer model to be the ultimate um, Bitcoin Twitter account uh, and have it like produce content, you know, that is, you know, really interesting, really engaging, build up a following mm -hmm. and then use that to uh, funnel customers back to a particular business, you know. Or, you know, could we like, so, so could we build that for a business or could we build that for ourselves, for example, when we become the ultimate affiliate, right? And, you know, our yeah. model is then the, the trusted expert that sends people to the right kind of products based on the stage where they're at, etc. So, yeah, there's like, there's ideas that are emerging. I think we just need to find out what the right one is. The, the, like, I also have some ideas about, you know, what we could do outside of Bitcoin with this, but. I don't know if you want to pull in any of those threads before I talk about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so one of the one of the things we've had to do for building this language model, a lot of people um, have this misconception, which is you know you just get all the data and you feed it to a model. Um, like a, a model doesn't know what to do with like the Bitcoin standard, right? Like what you have to actually do for the Bitcoin standard is you need to first take the whole book. And you need to break it up into like, let's say a thousand individual paragraphs where each individual paragraph is like a, like complete, like if you read it as a human being, you'd make sense of it. Like, you know, you don't need to know the whole context of the book, but you know, if you read the paragraph, like it makes sense, standalone. Then you'd have to take every single paragraph and turn it. Like if let's assume you want to build a model that answers questions, you would have to turn every single paragraph into a question and answer pair or maybe multiple question answer pairs. And then you'd have to check, make sure that the question answers, the tonality of the original author hasn't been, you know, destroyed um, because mm -hmm. ChatGPT, you know, has a tendency to do that. So, so you need to kind of uh, take the data through a pipeline. And in the end, you would actually take the question and answer set that you have, and you would train a model on the question and answer set, not the Bitcoin standard. So, that takes quite a bit of time. So you have to build a pipeline to do that. And, you know, the pipeline kind of, as I just mentioned, like if you imagine a human being having to do that, it'd probably take them a month, you know, multiply that by the hundred Bitcoin books that's out there, the, you know, 10,000 articles, the million podcasts, it's fucking impossible for humans to do it. Um, hmm. You know, this is where language models actually come in and are handy, the existing foundation models. And this is how like all the open source stuff has been built, you know, using sort of chat GPT, et cetera, to like uh, perform this task is we get open AI to, uh, to break up the text, to, you know, paraphrase it into, you know, complete segments. You know, we do a bunch of like prompt engineering and like we have like a mini model that uh, tests whether the tonality of the original author is kept or if it's deteriorated or whatever. And then we have like a chunk, like a set of good chunks of the book. Then we have, an, you know, the next model turned it into questions and answers. And then we check those again. And then finally we plop it out the end of the pipeline to uh, human beings, which are like Bitcoiners that have, you know, that we've validated. And they basically keep or discard, you know, this is good, this is bad, or they edit. And that basically, you know, if, if, a, a particular threshold of them keeps the data. The data is kept if a particular threshold discard, the data is discarded. Mm -hmm. So that way we have like a little bit of a consensus model going. Um, and, you know, the, the data at the other end is like really high quality, clean data that we can train the model on that is in a format that makes sense for training the model on. So that whole pipeline is required for building your own language model. So then the question becomes, okay, 
Oh, actually, let me just say one more thing about these contributors. So these contributors get paid in sats for their contributions. I want to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah. So the they bounties, get paid in right? for their contribution exactly. So so they're not essentially bounties. They're like that. You know, there's a leaderboard, and it's like you know, they're, they're micro. It's like a mechanical Turk sats based, right? So mm -hmm. like you know, every time you're doing something, you're getting paid sats. If you're in consensus, if you're not in consensus, you actually lose sats. So there's a bit of a um, uh, penalty mechanism in there to sort of keep people uh, on it. So it's almost like, you know, mining in some sense, like, and you could call it almost proof of knowledge. Mining data. Yeah. So exactly. It is a form of mining data, right? So it allows people who have subject matter knowledge to put their knowledge to use, earn some money for it. So if you think about that whole pipeline, the question then is what can we use that for outside of just building a Bitcoin model? And, you know, that could be building a self-defense model, or, you know, SDLM, right? You know, self-defense language model could be building mm -hmm. a homeschooling model, an Austrian economics model, a free private cities model. Like we could actually build alternative LLMs that are, you know, domain focused or specific. And we have now a framework where a community can get involved um, that knows something about that domain and can help, uh, you know, in the training process. And, you know, there might be something there that we as a company can go and sell into other businesses and other industries that are not, not even Bitcoin adjacent, but Bitcoin fucking unrelated. And yeah. all of a sudden, you know, we get them like for them to get that, you know, the last mile, cause like using programmatic techniques, you can get a book 80% of the way there ready to train a model, but that last 20%, you really want human beings to kind of like improve it. And you can probably build a reward model from, you know, like finding the delta between the human version and the, the model version. And, you know, you can kind of maybe get it to 95%, 96%. But, you know, that last touch from humans is really important. That's why reinforcement learning is so powerful when they, when they do it at the end of a model's uh, training cycle. And we might be mm -hmm. able to transform that in the, into a process that we can then package and sell to other firms, uh, other industries, you know, maybe, maybe even like, maybe even governments like that want to build their own language model with their own data. Cause if you think about it, you know, everyone talks about how data is the oil of the 21st century. I would argue yeah. it's like shale oil, which is nobody knows how to fucking do anything with it. Like it's all this data that is completely meaningless, unstructured and useless for applications mm -hmm. that like you, you you know a model can't just train on anything like you have to format it you have to structure you have to do all of this work to get it into a format that it works so i almost think of it as like oil refinement like you can't just like just because you know someone's sitting on a bunch of oil doesn't mean anything like you actually have to crack it build all the pipeline build all the infrastructure and get it to the uh the gas station so that someone puts right. it into a car, right? All of that, it doesn't even exist yet in the in the AI space. And I think, you know, Bitcoin might be an interesting tool in that uh, in that pipeline. So anyway, we've gone off on tangents here, but uh, that yeah, there's a bunch of things going through my head. Yeah, and I think it's absolutely fascinating. We are at the frontier right now, Bitcoin and AI, and all the different applications. Um, you're, I think, the only maybe the first uh, building a large language model based in Bitcoin. So. Very fascinating to hear you think through it as well and what you have uh, planned for the future. Um, I want to go to the company itself. How many people do you now have working for Spirit Satoshi? Yeah, we've got five full-time, four part-time. So still a you know, relatively small team, uh, nimble, uh, you know, sort of data science uh, oriented more than anything else. Mm -hmm. 
And, and compared to Amber, are these Bitcoiners or just they're just uh, specific to their skill discipline? This time it's a uh, basically a hundred percent hit rate Bitcoin team. Yeah, there's there's no okay. this time. Yeah. And what are the differences I guess you've seen between building a team that's non-Bitcoin focused and a team of Bitcoiners? Are there any major things that pop out? I mean, I guess the the cultural fit is pretty like evident, you know, and you know, it's it's really simple. I think the the necessity for more Bitcoin esque talent this time is particularly mm-hmm. with um, you know, you you want data scientists who can recognize if the the work that they're doing is producing the right uh, like the right results in the direction that we want to go and if you just have a normal yep. like data scientist who understands bitcoin as blockchain technology you know or whatever you know yeah. the the results they're There's getting nuance from the training yeah. exactly they're going to be like oh yeah i'm getting results when in reality we just created fucking chat gpt again um so like this is mm-hmm. really important like this time like i've been specifically looking for Bitcoiners who are data scientists, you know, not like just mm. any data scientist. Um, so yeah, th- th- there's definitely been a difference. Um, but I- I've been lucky, man. Like since we started announcing what we're doing, etc. Like Bitcoiners who have been data scientists have been like approaching me, saying, "Fucking love what you're doing. How can okay. I?" Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think you're gonna get a lot more of that too as this gets into the ether more. Um, and I guess while you're hiring people, what do you look for exactly? Um, to tell if they're going to be a good hire or not, whether they're going to be a Bitcoiner or just good at the, what they do. Man, to be honest, it's hard these days with um, with remote. So, like when I used to hire people, you know, my my gut check used to really uh, tell me if someone was the right person or the wrong person. And mm. you know, building remote teams, honestly, I, I I wish. In some ways, I wish I was born in the you know in the '60s and got to build you know all my companies in person because like I was a much better like CEO uh, in person because I knew how to like yeah. build an office, run an office, like get the fucking energy and the vibe and all that sort of stuff. Like you know, yeah. every business that I built beforehand, like you know, I had I built missionaries, not just mercenaries. Um, now you know, in the absence of that physical presence, um, you know like the the bitcoin orientation around someone's values you know helps because i know that if you know they they have an interest in bitcoin they're genuine they've been around for a little while you know it's generally a good sign it's a good signal for character um and that helps and you know when i'll have a conversation like i'll obviously see what they're like and and probably you know i said this to you i don't know maybe at the outset of the podcast but I've, I've hired, you know, more than 500 people in my time, you know, between sales companies, you know, freaking hospitality, tech, construction, electricians, renewable energy, like all sorts of things. So you almost build like a, a, a sixth sense for kind of getting engaged on people. And yep. yeah, I, I think I, I don't even know how to put it into words. It's, you know, you, you, you get a sense for who people are very quickly from a conversation um, you know, I also did a it's lot like of anything in life. It is. I feel like you practice just leads to you building up that sixth sense in any application. It's, it's body intelligence. This, this is the thing like, you know, touches on another, you know, topic I'm really passionate about is like, you know, modern day sort of nerds think that, you know, humans are brain in the fat. And if, you know, we just like remove the brain from the body, like we'll live for like all this sort of like disembodied shit is like such crap because most of the intelligence is actually in the body. 
and it's it's yeah. like the body the physical self is so uh so like um disregarded or like ignored and you know that's why everyone is fucking fat and depressed and all this other stuff like the, you know that's a whole other tangent but like mm-hmm. you know we, we don't realize how much like body language and like presence and uh you know physiology physiognomy like all of these things like impact uh decision making like you know we do mm-hmm. fundamentally judge books by their cover and you know i'm sorry it doesn't sound nice but it actually fucking works 80 90 of the time like you know Pareto's law okay. you know, functions here you know sure there is the outliers sometimes we get them wrong but you don't optimize you know your life and society around fucking outliers you know you optimize it around like what rules generally work and um so anyway yeah to 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 kind of put a lid on that idea it's like you know by doing things by practicing by you know uh performing an act over and over again you develop a a instinctual uh intelligent or predisposition for understanding something and i think that's how yeah. i make my hiring decisions now given that we're um we're an international team yeah. Is there a, a go-to question you usually ask during an interview that really helps vet whether someone or not is a good fit? Hmm. I used to have them, but not anymore. No, I just have a conversation these days. Just see if it flows well, conversation. Yeah, yeah. Got it. So. Okay, cool. Um, going back to yourself, too, and what you do, what do you do day-to-day? as the founder of Spiro Satoshi. I'm, I'm assuming a lot of right now, it's a, a lot of market research, seeing where this thing is a, a, applying to. Yeah, that, that, that a lot of my time is going into that. Also, like, I mean, I'm, I'm as a CEO, supposed to lead the vision and raise the money, right? And, you know, leading the vision mm-hmm. internally, meaning like keeping the guys inspired and making sure that we're all kind of rowing in the same direction. Like, and, you know, as much as, you know, most people don't understand how like, you know, and I, and I don't say this to blow smoke up my ass, but it's it's like fundamentally critical. You know, there is a Apple, for example, as a company is very different now under Tim Cook than it was under Steve Jobs, right? Steve Jobs was a true visionary. Mm-hmm. Tim Cook is an operator. So like Apple has gotten really good yeah. since Steve passed away at like making the iPhone incrementally better and like, you know, like squeezing margins and, you know, operationally like streamlining and all that sort of stuff but fuck me apple hasn't created anything new like literally hasn't created a single thing that is new since jobs passed away like jobs was visionary and he got people going in a particular direction and you know musk is the same all great entrepreneurs all great ceos are visionaries and they they guide something in a particular direction and it's the it's the vision crafting the um then trying to take that and like pitch it into the marketplace whether that's talking to potential clients or talking to potential investors, you know, talking to potential, you know, maybe media partners, et cetera. And like, I'm, I'm always trying to craft the message, like what the fuck are we doing? And, you know, when you're building a startup, like most of the time, the answer to what are we doing is I don't fucking know we're doing shit, <laughs> like trying to see what sticks. Yeah. And, you know, you're trying to sort of find the way, particularly the, the earlier the startup or also the more cutting edge, the startup is playing in, right? Like, you know, when, like half the time you're educating people on what you're doing, not just, um, you know, why you're doing it. So, um, yeah, I'd say a lot of it is that, um, plus like, you know, trying my best to stay 
at the cutting edge of like what is happening in the AI space more broadly. Um, now I'm not a data scientist, you know, I, I don't cut code. Like, you know, I, I used to do some basic coding, but you know, nothing ever really complex, but I can speak the language well enough, you know, understand things relatively well conceptually. Um, you know, I've got a civil engineering and math background. So like there is enough there, like, you know, I'm, I'm dangerous enough like with, with the little that I, that I do know and can do that, um, you know, at the very least I can understand what's happening in the industry and see how, like, does it apply to us? Does it matter? Like where are things trending, yeah. et cetera. So, yeah, I'd say that's where a lot of my, my time goes other than, um, obviously I still write a lot. Um, you know, I still think about, you know, what Bitcoin means, all that. I try and get to conferences. Like I'm doing five conferences back to back this month, uh, about to hit the third one very shortly. So all of this is like me basically acting as the membrane between the world and what we're doing internally. And I think that's really Got it. Yeah, I like the way you put that. Yeah. Um, as we wrap this up here, a couple more questions for you. Um, in the near future here, do you expect to be hiring at all? And if so, what, what kind of positions are you be hiring for? I guess it depends which direction our, our business, uh, uh, evolves. So like if we, if we really want to double down on the, um, on the Bitcoin, uh, sorry, on the, uh, frameworks and toolkits angle mm. and maybe sell this into other companies or large scale industries or you know bodies or something like that, then it'll definitely be more data scientists. Yeah. Uh, if we decide to double down on the Bitcoin side of things, um, we might need to hire more Bitcoin oriented engineers to like figure out a way to mm. make the, the Bitcoin model more Bitcoin like. And, and when I say that, I mean, you know, connecting stuff like lightning or, you know, uh, you know, maybe making it talk to wallets or something like that. That's another angle. Um, if we decide right. to make more of a, you know, content creation assistant, stuff like that, then I think the current team is fine. We'll then just need to market that as a concept. So we might be looking at business development and marketing. So yeah, it re really depends on where we, w which direction we decide to lean. That'll obviously determine what stuff we could, we look to hire. Got it. Okay. And last question for you, what's one piece of advice you give to someone that maybe wants to work in Bitcoin and AI over the next year or so? What can they do right now to get themselves a job in a year when those do open up? Um, I mean, what's their, uh, what's their current background? Are they like a data scientist or are they just, like... yeah, let's, let's, let's start with technical. Okay. So if they're I mean, technical, any type of technical background. Yeah, I mean, mm. if they're technical, I'd be I'd be basically devouring all the stuff on language models, fine tuning, training, creating vector databases, um, you know, like figuring out how to build like reward models that close the delta between you know where a model is and where a human is and all that sort of stuff. Like, because it's all just it's all just math, it's all just probabilities. Um, you know, that that's really where I'd be I'd be focusing all of my attention. It's like, how can I do that stuff and what know? about and someone that's non-technical someone that's non-technical i mean honestly go, go learn to work with your hands um build houses and shit um like forget about all the ai stuff because like i don't know i think um as much as i mean maybe you know the the common answer might be like go learn to how to be a prompt engineer but I, i'm not sure if i'm entirely sold on that being you know, there's a lot of like this push. It's like prompt engineering is going to be a new thing. Yeah. 
Maybe, maybe not. I feel like as models get more specialized, maybe prompt engineering will become less um, valuable. Although I could be wrong here because like prompt engineering is just basically becoming a good um, a good uh, communicator and someone who asks very good questions. So that's probably like yeah. a skill that extends beyond just, you know, doing stuff here. So I don't know, you know, non-technical, yeah, like you've got to learn the skills that, uh, that have always been needed uh, for any business, like, you know, communicating, marketing, sales, like all that sort of stuff, like, and maybe see where uh, language models, for example, can be used to enhance your ability to do that stuff. But that doesn't mean like, go and learn to be a content creator who just asks ChatGPT to do everything for you, because yeah, your content just gonna be shit. Like, so, you know, yeah, yeah, there, there's multiple ways you can go there. I think that's, yeah, it's very insightful to hear that. Well, cool. Um, thank you so much for your time today, Alex. Uh, really love what you're building here. I think it's going to be really cool to test out as the model gets better and better as people are training it. Thank how you. can uh, the audience find you online? And how can they learn more about Spear Satoshi? Yeah, so uh, finding me on Twitter is like uh, Svetsky writes. Uh, so like writing, W-R-I-T-E-S. Um, and then okay. to learn more about uh, Satoshi, um, go spiritofsatoshi.ai. There's some information in there. There's some there's some good FAQs in there, like for people who've asked questions, like, oh, what do you plan to do with it? How does it work? How do you train it? What data are you using? All that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's all like answered in the FAQ. And there's not many. There's like ten or twelve, but it'll help you like really just understand. Oh, okay, that's what it is. Um, yeah. There is uh, and the spirit of Satoshi um, Twitter is just spirit underscore Satoshi, and definitely recommend people check that out because that's um. Uh, we, we are trying to build that profile. Like at the moment, it's a mixture of like a model and us, you know, producing insightful content every single day from the corpus of data that we're training the model on. Um, and in time, basically, we'll have the model taking over more and more and more of it. So like we started with like 100% us, 0% the model, you know, then like 10% the model, 90% us, like now it's like 20% model, 80% us. And that sort of slider is going to shift until the model can really like run that uh, thing and like hopefully it'll become um the uh what do you call it um the the bitcoin expert that anybody can turn to online to ask a question and know yeah. that it's kind of like sending them in the right direction like that'd be pretty cool yeah and it's all built on consensus too so if you want to help train the model too i guess you could head to your website and earn some sats too for training it totally so yeah, definitely so recommend doing that yeah, like in spiritsatoshi.ai, there's a button called Help Train Satoshi. Go in there. It's like a short application form where we try and filter out like, you know, people who might be bad actors or, you know, shitcoiners or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, go in there, fill out the form, takes about five minutes. And then, you know, we get you into the group so you can start, yeah, earning some sats. Like that Stephen Chow guy just joined, you know, the guy who's done like more Bitcoin yeah, uh, I know. transcriptions than anyone else. And yeah. Um, and yeah, basically he's like, man, I've been doing these transcriptions and basically putting all my knowledge into this stuff and I don't really get paid for it. He's like, can I join? Yeah. I was like, fuck yeah, you can join. I was like, get in there, get some sats for like, you know, you, you got all this Bitcoin stuff in your head, like earn some Bitcoin. He's like, okay, sweet. I'm in. I, I have a feeling that's a lot of people listening right now, including myself. I have all this Bitcoin in my head knowledge and it's like, I need to put it somewhere, yeah. put it to use. That's a great first step at least. Well, cool. Um, hey, man, it was great meeting you. Great talking with you. Uh, really looking forward to seeing how this thing is built out in the future, whatever path you guys decide to take business-wise. And yeah, good luck with everything. We'll talk soon. Thank you, my friend.
Hey guys, thanks for listening. And I really hope you found value in this podcast. If you're a job seeker looking to work for a Bitcoin company, or you're a part of a Bitcoin company and need help with finding talent for your team, please head over our website at www.bitcointalent.co and get in touch with our team. Thanks until next time.